From my early days, I learned the value and benefit of being included and accepted into a family that was not originally my own. You see, when I was just a small baby, my parents divorced, and before my first memory, both of my parents had remarried. I grew up with my mom and my stepdad, and he and his family warmly received me and always treated me as if I belonged to them because I did. When I was growing up, because that side of the family, my stepdad, dad's parents, and, uh, and my great aunt were the ones that were closest to us geographically and also became closest to us relationally, to me, relationally as well because of geography, proximity, opportunity. Um, and so, uh, I knew what it was like to have a family, never knew anything different from that time on, and all of my family, birth and extended and added to family, have always included me and always treated me as my, their own. In fact, so much so that uh, spending time, you know, whether it was the holidays or summer vacations, we were often in Key West where my grandparents lived and their, their house, 1423 Patricia Street, became a, the, the familial center uh, for my growing up years. So much in fact that for many years, even after they passed away, whenever I would have dreams, they would often be set in that setting, not in the house that I grew up in, not in any house that we moved to, but that setting, 1423 Patricia Street, because it was home. It was home for me, that place. Now, we are in the middle, getting started in a series called Upended, which is working through scenes in the book of Acts. And today's message, week three, is called everyone. You might remember that in the very beginning of the book, we've already looked at this, that Jesus is commissioning his disciples, telling them what their job is going to be now as apostles. Disciples means learners, apprentices. Apostles are those who are sent, and they are being sent, and he defines their mission. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere telling people about me everywhere, witnesses, bearing witness to what they've seen, and where? Everywhere, to everyone. In fact, the next verse lays it out. In Jerusalem, the city where they were, in Judea, the region where they were, among their own people, Samaria, greater region, not their own people, and then to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And today, if you wanted to say, well, what, what's today about? It is about inclusion, inclusion. Because one of the things that God did in the early church and is continuing to do today is redefining, as Jesus did, who is our neighbor? Who are the in crowd and who are those who are the outsiders? We see a little hint of this in the early church's gathering. Again, we've looked at this before. They all, who's the all? That's all the disciples, the, the uh, 11 plus Matthias and, uh, and the extended group of disciples were together. They were united in prayer. And also they were included among them was Mary, the mother of Jesus, other women, and the brothers, the extended family of Jesus. So already the, the circle is broadening. 
and it's about to, over the next several chapters, totally break down all kinds of barriers. Let's look at our focus passage for today, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. This is the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is called Pentecost because it's 50 days after Passover. It's also the festival of weeks or first festival of first fruits. And it is associated with the giving of the law. So here's how it reads. This is Acts chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Same kind of thing we see before. Suddenly... There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, People from Mesopotamia, Judea, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there, amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the way that you have been throughout history, including people in what you are doing, adopting people into your family, breaking down barriers in order to involve and adopt and make citizens of the kingdom of God, people from every tribe, nation, background, you name it. 
I pray, Lord, that you will continue to do that and that you will help us to cooperate with you in that, that we will be able to go and, and show the good deeds that you have in mind for us and that we will be able to invite people in to what you are doing. And I pray that you would do exactly that through our time together today, that you will include people in what you're doing, help people to cross the line into faith, that you would adopt people into your family and make them full-fledged citizens of your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. So let's look at it because the bottom line that I'm going to use for today, I'm going to steal directly from that last line of the scripture. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We see this beginning uh, and expanding throughout the start of the church. And this is just the first step in what God is going to be doing. But he's going to be including all kinds of people and breaking down barriers that were long established, prejudices and presuppositions about who was in and who was out, and making it clear that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mentioned the benefits of being in my uh, adopted and expend, expanded family, that I was included in that. And there were at least three benefits that I can think of that I experienced and, and that we as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, as family together in the kingdom of God, we have these benefits. And as I go through some scriptures, I want you to kind of keep these in mind because you will see them coming up again and again. The first is God's presence, that God is with us. We said last week that Jesus was that unifying presence that drew that diverse and all over the spectrum crowd together. Well, God's presence, he is powerfully present with us. And that's the other benefit, his power. God is for us. He leverages his power for our benefit. And that power is available to us. And then thirdly is direction. We are facing so many decisions that have to be made, so many things where we want and need divine wisdom, and God provides his direction. He is guiding us. And these are just a couple of the benefits that you will see as a part of God's family. And these benefits and everything associated with it are available to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Everyone. So let's look at it together. Upended is all about how our presuppositions are being upended. And this is a huge shift that is happening on the day of Pentecost. But in order to appreciate it, we have to look a little bit at the context and the background. Because uh, the people of God always, for a very long time, identified with a particular place, a place, and that that was a long-established tradition. It started hundreds of years before this day of Pentecost happened. Uh, and uh, a, a long time ago, the people of Israel were going to go back to their slavery in Egypt. They are a people but they are an enslaved people. 
And God, through miraculous signs and wonders, is going to deliver. He's going to leverage his power for his people to deliver them from slavery and eventually take them into a land, a place that would be their own, that they could call their own. But even in the meantime, while they are traveling and wandering in the desert, God wants his presence to be there among them. So here's what he says. He tells them, he tells Moses, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. God wants to be with us. He wants uh, to be present with us. And so he gives very specific directions about what they're to build and how they're to build it. And the people of Israel do that. Finally, this tabernacle or tent that uh, the people were living in tents. And so God says, I'm going to live, I'm going to pitch my tent among you as well. I'll be in the center of the camp and my presence will be there with you. They build it, they dedicate it, and then this is what happened. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle. Well, what cloud are we talking about? Was it just a foggy day? No. The cloud is the glory of the Lord, and it filled the tabernacle. So we don't know exactly what it, what it was like. It, it seems to indicate that it was like a cloud, like smoke, and then you'll see as fire at night. But this presence, because glory often is the manifestation, the presence of God made manifest, filled the tabernacle. In fact, it, whatever it was, filled the tabernacle so much that Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it. Now, you can walk through a cloud. It's called fog. But the presence of God was so thick in the tabernacle as it was dedicated that Moses couldn't even enter. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, this was also the way that God gave them direction, as you'll see in the following verses. Uh, it goes on, now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, again, the cloud representing God's presence, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. They would know how long to stay put because the cloud would stay put. They would know when and where to move because the cloud would move and they would follow it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it was lifted. This was one of the ways that God provided his direction. The cloud of the Lord hovered over, hovered over the tabernacle by, during the day, so they would see it. It was a visible manifestation of God's presence. And at night, fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. So you'd be sitting in your tent and it would be the dark of night, but you could look off into the distance and you would see the glow of the presence, the glory of God in the center of the camp, representing that God was with you. God was with you. Now, fast forward, the people of Israel move into the promised land. They continue to move around. They bring the tabernacle, the tent of the Lord. They're now settled. They eventually have a king and a capital, and the king is building palace, uh, a permanent structure for his own home. And eventually it occurs to them, well, we need to build a more permanent structure for God. We need to build God's house as well. So the king is established, Saul, then David, and then Solomon is the one who actually builds the temple, a permanent place of residence 
that will symbolize the presence of God among them and will be the, the center of their uh, religious and civic life. So here is the dedication of the temple. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Again, we see the presence of God, the activity of God manifested as fire. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the burnt offering sacrifices. And then what else happens? And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Same kind of thing happening here with the temple that happened with the tent in the wilderness. And then what, why? What, what also happened as a result? The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. Same kind of thing. It, the presence of God was so thick in the temple, you couldn't even enter into the temple. So this temple uh, stands for a while. Eventually, the people of God rebel against God. He warns them over and over again that disaster is going to be the result. They don't listen, and eventually they are conquered. They are overcome. The people are sent into exile. They're spread out, and the temple is destroyed. This was just an, it's hard to, hard to overstate how incredibly devastating this was for the people of God because that represented God's presence among them and now it was destroyed. Now, a lot of things happen, but eventually the people are able to return and they are, they are able to rebuild the temple. So they build a second temple. But there's a, so there's excitement because of that. There's also disappointment because it seems to lack some of the glory. It wasn't as elaborate. It wasn't as big as the previous temple. Now, a lot of things happen, but that one eventually survives. A couple of close scrapes. But by the time of Jesus, that second temple is the temple that's standing. But it's also gone through a multi-decade renovation and upgrade. And so it has been beautified, it's been expanded, and in the days of Jesus, that is the temple that is standing. And it's, again, hard to overstate how central this was to their identity and the importance of the temple. It was like the White House, the Capitol Building, the Washington Monument, the Supreme Court, the National Cathedral, and maybe Mount Rushmore, all kind of wrapped up into one place. It was this huge, important center. And so Jesus comes in, and early in his ministry, he goes and there's the cleansing of the temple. That's when he gets uh, all the people who are using it as a marketplace and drives them out. And this is the response of the Jewish leaders. They demand, what are you doing if God gave you the authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. In other words, if you're going to come in here and take charge, who, who, who made you the authority? How, what authority do you have to tell us how to run our temple? And Jesus begins to introduce a shift. He's going to upend their idea of the temple. Jesus says, all right, you want, you want a proof of my authority? Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Now, this was 
to their ears just a ridiculous statement. Destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? This is what they say. What? It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But they misunderstood what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. He meant his own body. You see, this was the beginning, the introduction of a shift in what, what the, the, the temple meant. And we see this a little bit later at the later part of Jesus' ministry. He's been at the temple as he often was. As they're leaving, as he walks away, the disciples pointed out how very impressive the temple architecture was. They were just awed and they were commenting on how incredible this was. And Jesus turned to them and said, take a good look at all these things, for I'm telling you, there will not be one stone left upon another. It will all be leveled. It will all be leveled. Now think about some of those landmarks in our country that I mentioned. And if somebody said, oh yeah, enjoy it while it lasts, it's all going to be just a pile of rubble. Well, first off, they would probably get a visit from the Secret Service, but you would also kind of be surprised. It's like, what? What is going to happen? What? How, how would our identity as a nation survive if all of these things were wiped out? And that is, in Jesus' case, he was prophesying and he was exactly right because in just a couple of decades, in AD 70, the temple would be destroyed. It would be leveled and not one stone would be left on the other. Now, but all of this, this shift, this change of what it means to be a part of the family of God and the place associated with it was something that Jesus was introducing. And he hinted at it in those things. But in the Gospel of John, in introducing the story of Jesus, this is what John says. The Word, talking about the Word of God in the person of Jesus, became human and made his home among us. Now, that's an interesting phrase because it literally means he pitched his tent. He set up his tabernacle among us. Now, for decades, for, for, for centuries, they had looked at the tabernacle and then the temple as the, the dwelling place of God. That's where God took up residence. And now in introducing the story of Jesus, John is saying now there's a shift happening because God is still going to take up residence among his people, but he is pitching his tent in the person of Jesus and starts talking about Jesus the way that the priest would talk about God when they were in the temple. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And then listen to this. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Remember what happened with the temples? Whenever God made his presence known, manifest, showed up in person, it was the glory of the Lord that filled the temple. And now John is making this radical, unbelievable claim that now God is taking up residence in Jesus 
that his glory is being made manifest, not in a cloud, in a tent, or a building, but in the person of Jesus, the Father's one and only Son. Now, this would have been a big enough shift to kind of get their mind around. You mean, in, in one sense, it really doesn't matter what happens to the temple because now God's presence is being made manifest and traveling around in the temple that is Jesus. And he begins to equate his body with the temple, the presence of God. Now, that's just the beginning of the shift because now after his death, burial, resurrection, he's teaching his disciples and he's preparing them for what's next. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Just like I have been here to make known the ways of God and to make uh, manifest the presence of God, now I'm going to be sending you. And then he does something really weird and interesting. Right after telling them that, it says, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So picture this, he's teaching them. He says, look, I'm, I'm gonna be sent, the Father sent me, I'm gonna be sending you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is God's spirit. It, he is God, the third person of the Trinity. And he says, he makes the sound of wind, the sound of, of breath, and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in the moment, I imagine the disciples looking at him like, okay, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but okay. And, and, uh, and they hear this sound the sound of wind, and with that, the to command to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, do you remember what we just read in Acts chapter 2? It does not say that a wind arose. It doesn't say anything about there being an actual wind. It says that there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then the Holy Spirit, symbolized by these flames of fire, descended on each one of the disciples, the original 11, the adopted and added 12th, the women, the family of Jesus, the extended followers of Jesus, every single one of them, the flame descends, they hear the sound of the rushing wind, and then they have the power to speak in languages that they never learned and declare the glory of God to people in their native languages. This is making manifest what Jesus had in mind all along and what Paul, the Apostle Paul, eventually makes explicit in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? And so now, what used to be associated with a place 
what used to have to travel around and then they eventually built a permanent building and what Jesus radically redefines as his body, he now says, you are in essence, you my followers are now the body of Christ. And instead of the glory and fire descending on a place, on a building, on a tent, now every single follower of Jesus becomes the temple of God, the intersection of heaven and earth with the presence of God dwelling in them, the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit, leading, guiding, sharing the mind of Christ with every single follower for direction and insight and knowledge. And so all of these things that were a part of the benefit of being the people of God are now carried with and present in the person of the Holy Spirit with every follower of Jesus. His presence is with us wherever we go. His power is available to us. It says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is present in every follower of Jesus. And he also gives us direction. He is guiding and leading us and sharing his thoughts and his mind with us. And this is available to everyone because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, it used to be limited. You had to be a part of a particular nation or in essence kind of make yourself a part of that nation. Or you had to be at a particular place when they would celebrate the festivals. There were three festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and the Day of Atonement, where you were supposed to go to this building. And that was, a, that was part of your annualized worship. And now the, the presence of God is going to be distributed throughout and then when all of this happens and Peter is called upon to explain it, he goes back to the prophet Joel who predicted all of this. And I want you to, I want to just highlight some things about that last section that I read. In the last days, let's pause there for just a second. Are we living in the last days? Yes. Does that mean that uh, we're any closer to the last days? Yes, we're, uh, we, we are in the last days. But the last days biblically defined is that time between when Jesus ascends into heaven and returns from heaven. It's the last phase of history. It's not talking about its length. It's talking about its place in the line of history. We have been in the last days for nearly two millennia. It's that last phase, so don't get confused by that. But he says, this is what's going to happen in that last phase of history. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. I'm going to dramatically expand at what I am doing. He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men and your old men are going to see visions and dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And then lastly, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.
everybody who calls upon the Lord can be redeemed, can be re- included, can be, uh, can be adopted into his family. And so that's why I take that as the bottom line. Everyone, everyone. So that means whatever your background, whatever your pedigree, whatever your experience, whatever uh, place in the world you have, you are invited, regardless of all of that, to be included in God's family, to be adopted as his beloved son or daughter, that you can be a citizen in the kingdom of God, that you can be forgiven of your past, and that your life can be redeemed and your future can be rewritten. Allow the Lord to write a new ending to your story. And so that's the first application of this whole thing is for whatever reason, you may have felt like you are not eligible, you're not up to, your background, your failings, your past has excluded you. And Jesus is making clear through Pentecost and that experience that that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm going to invite you right now to cross the line of faith because it's important that you draw that line in the sand and you say yes to Jesus. I'm crossing over. I want what he did on the cross that purchased the forgiveness of my sins to count for me. And I want to follow him. I want to be included in his family from this point on. So I'll challenge you. Uh, to say yes to Jesus. Uh, no matter what platform you're listening or watching, you can text at any time, day of night, the word yes to 603-225-2550, our church number, 603-225-2550. That will let us know that you are committing your life to Jesus. We want to be able to celebrate that with you. We want to be able to resource you. And if you're watching on the church online platform, you can just click that button that says raise hand. And you're just saying, I'm committing my life to Jesus. I want to be included in what he did. I want that to count for me. And then click that next button that says connect with us so that we can likewise celebrate and resource you. Celebrate with you and resource you for your new life. Now, I want to give some other applications related to what Jesus was doing and what we're going to see happening in the next scenes in the book of Acts. It starts out by talking about all these people from all over the known world at that time who are there in Jerusalem and that they are hearing the word of God in their own language. And regardless of their background, regardless of where they're from, uh, it, remember it noted that the people from Rome were both Jews and converts to Judaism. Um, there were all kinds of people here. And what we're going to find in the next chapters is that their understanding of what the Jewish Messiah, who the Jewish Messiah was for, is going to be dramatically broadened. And it's going to include everyone. Everyone not because of the circumstances of their birth, but because Jesus died for them. Do you know why I was included in my step family, my extended family? It wasn't because of anything in me. 
it was because their son had loved me and drew me in and made me a part of his family. And that's exactly what's happening here. And so in our world today, let me, be very, let me make a very clear and direct application of what God did in the first church and continues to do in our day. And that is that racism in any form is incompatible with Christian doctrine and must be eradicated from Christian practice. Let's be very clear about this. Racism has no place in Christian theology, doctrine, or practice. And so we need to not only not be racist ourselves, but we need to work to eradicate it. And certainly within the body of Christ, within the church, within people of faith, there is no place for this whatsoever. There is only one race as far as the Bible is concerned, and that's the human race. We are all descended and a part of one family. And in our world that wants to separate and divide out people in so many different ways, the only two groups that I think about are there are people who are my brothers and sisters in Christ and people who are potential brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the only division that there is in the world as far as we are concerned. Then, secondly, that because of what's going on in our world right now, we are in the midst of a great opportunity to balance come and see with go and tell. You see, within the scriptures, there are these two kinds of getting, two ways of getting the word out and extending the invitation. One is come and see. That's probably the one that we're more familiar with. It's come to church or watch online or join me on Sunday. Come and see what's going on. And that's totally legit. And we want to continue to do that. But now in this phase, maybe it's an opportunity to use the other kind, which is go and tell, go and show what's going on. And that's why over the next couple of months and beyond, we're going to continue to emphasize not just that hour on Sunday, but the other 167 hours a week, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. The, think of what happened there. The, the presence of God descended and indwelt every single believer. So you didn't have to go to a temple. You took the temple with you. And wherever you go, there the presence of God is and should be making manifest the glory of God wherever you go. So let's balance, come and see. Let's continue to make invitations to come and see. But let's also remember for the 167 other hours of the week that we are supposed to be going and showing, going and telling. And then lastly, I want to remind you, because of what we see on the day of Pentecost, you are never alone. You are never alone. When you say yes to Jesus and his presence comes and indwells you in the person of the Holy Spirit, you might be watching this by yourself. You might feel very alone, even surrounded by people in a crowd at work or in a store. You, you feel like 
you don't have anybody on your side, no one to help you, that there's not a family, there aren't friends around you. But I am telling you, even right now, I know there are people who are listening and watching, and you feel, you sense the presence of God. You know that you are not alone. And you've needed to hear this. You needed to know this, that God has not abandoned you. His presence is there with you. His power is available to you, even when you feel like you can't go on. And he is going to give you the direction, the insight, the guidance, the, the uh, whatever you need, the strength to go on. And he is with you. When you say yes to Jesus, you are never alone. You are never alone. So with that, I'm going to give you the same commissioning that Jesus gave to his first disciples. We were, uh, they were told that they were going to be his witnesses to everyone, everywhere. Everyone everywhere. And now it, we inherit that mission as the church of Jesus Christ, as the body of Christ, as portable temples bearing within us the presence and glory of God. We are supposed to go and show and make that manifest. We are supposed to go and tell, keep the story of Jesus, the main story in your life. And when you are tempted to prejudge or to exclude or include people depending on the way the world wants to separate you out by socioeconomic class, by race, by political affiliation, by geographic uh, location, whatever the case, let's reject that and let's just remember there are only two people in Two kinds of people in the world those are my brothers and sisters in christ or those are my potential brothers and sisters in christ and let's take the presence of god the glory of god the power of god with us wherever we go and let him bring glory and honor and credit to himself through what he does in and through us let me pray for you heavenly father i thank you for this word I thank you, Lord, that you are speaking actively, presently in everyone who is listening. I pray, Lord, that you would give each one of us, myself included, the wisdom to know what we are supposed to do with what we've heard today, and that you will give us the courage, boldness, and power to act accordingly. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.